Shut up and sit down. Hi, and welcome to This Is Ibrooks, The Interviews. My name is Thomas McIntyre, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by former Nottingham Forest man uh, manager, uh, former Rangers manager, and current QPR manager, Mark Warburton. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Tommy pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, and uh, I think first thing I have to have to mention, because anybody watching the, the video will see it straight away, is the, uh, the Rangers jersey behind you. That's, uh, that's always nice to see. Uh, a lot of affection for the club, Tommy. So I've got a few jerseys of ex-clubs around me, but uh, that's the one in there. I couldn't show the Brentford one. Being QPR manager, showing the local West London rivals wouldn't be a smart move. So the Rangers jersey sits proudly there. Always always the manager, uh, making sure that the uh, the possessions fall <laughs> on. Uh, any particular story behind that jersey, or is it just, just one that you... Actually, it wasn't a good day. It was a cup final jersey. We unfortunately lost the game. But it was just, um, as I say, getting there and the, the, the group of players and, and, and what it meant to, to the fans to get there. Obviously, want to win the game. But that, that's the jersey there. But um, I've got one or two, but that's, uh, that's got quite a place. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that uh, swiftly till later on and, and make sure that nobody shows Jimmy Bell this, uh, this video that you've, uh, you've hived off a couple of jerseys. Indeed, don't worry about it. These are official ones, Tommy. No worries there. Uh, nice one, nice one. So, yeah, swiftly, you know, jumping in... I, I suppose where to start out with of all the, the COVID pandemic stuff, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a wee while, but going back to 2015, you're on a real, a real high, doing a really good job at, at Brentford. I'm just wondering, there was a lot of rumours round about you at that point, you know, linked with a, a couple of names, Leicester, Newcastle, etc. I'm wondering, when you got to the stage that clubs were getting in contact, was there other clubs in the, in the frame other than Rangers, or did Rangers, were they the only ones that, that come in? No, I was very fortunate, Tommy, in that we what happened at Brentford happened, um, but we we got to the playoffs. You know, we were we came up from League One. I think we were clear one of the favourites for relegation. We had a really good year. Um, we got the, just missed out in the Premier League in the playoffs. And and what happened with the owner in terms of the, the recruitment happened as well documented. So I was very fortunate that CV was strong, and uh, we had a lot of interest. I was very very lucky because in this in this day and age, to get to get offers is is difficult for any British manager. But I was very fortunate to have some good offers and good, good options on the table. Uh, and I was close to, to one or two of them. And then Big David Weir is obviously a, a very close friend and a, a top gentleman. He, uh, he said, oh, listen, you need to speak to Glasgow as well. Make sure you speak to Glasgow. And as a kid growing up, you know, I knew that Glasgow was one of the European giants. In my mind, it's like Red Star Belgrade and, and Rangers are big European knights. So I knew the size of the club. We had the meeting and uh, at the second meeting went really well, good people. Um, of course you're impressed, it's a, it's a football institution. So from that moment on, there was really, it was nice to have the other offers, but there's no other name in the frame once they became involved. Well, it's uh, just, just a, an interesting comment there. Do you think that there's a, it's a lot tougher for British managers to get, to get gigs uh, in the British game at the moment? Is there always a, not a bias as such, but there's always a glamour attached to a foreign name? I don't know if glamour is the right word. I know where you're coming from. I, I just think that we have more foreign owners who maybe have a different mindset in terms of, you know, the field that they, they scour and or the pond they fish in for their managers. Uh, and we have a lot, quite rightly, it's a top, the Premier League in itself is a magnificent brand uh, and they, they're going to search high and low globally for the, for the relevant individuals. And therefore, you look at the names in the Premier League at the top level, to get a job as a British manager is so, so difficult. It's very privileged to be offered a position now. It's harder and harder for the guys coming through the courses finishing their playing careers or young aspiring coaches to find those jobs, Tommy. So it's, um, as I say, to be able to have a choice at any stage, you're very privileged indeed. Do you ever play out the, the what-ifs in your mind if you'd have went down a slightly different path than, uh, than the Rangers' job? You always talk about a sliding doors moment, don't you? But it's, uh, no, listen, you, you live and die by your decisions and uh, absolutely no regrets going to Glasgow Rangers. I mean, it, I, I've said it before, I'll always say it, what a privilege to manage a football institution, to be in front of a crowd of that, of that quality in the stadium, of that quality in the club, of that history. So no, never ever say a bad word against the club and it'll always be a privilege and the frustrations there, obviously, but, but what a privilege to be there. So just, you know, take me inside because I'm really interested what those conversations look like because you hear a lot from 
you know, players, for example, I've spoken to uh, Ronald De Boer recently and Tony Vidmar for, for this as Ibrox as well, and other managers, and they discussed their philosophy with the board and the board, you know, discussed their vision for the club. What does it actually look like in terms of when you're delivering that vision to the club? Is it uh, taking them through an entire process? Is it just a conversation? I think, you know, that's something we don't always get a, an understanding of. No, I think it's, obviously it'll vary job to job, Tommy, but but I think it, it has to be two-way. So, of course, when you're talking about a football institution, you talk, you, you tell yourself, you go there and sell it and show your vision. That's fine. But as a manager, you need to hear back the right answers to your questions as well. I think you gauge a good interview, a good club, by the quality of their questions that they pose. But you've got to make sure you receive the right answers back. And I, I do, I've said before on courses, I fear for managers who are out of the game and have been out for a while, that when they do get an interview, they're too nervous to, uh, to ask the appropriate questions. You've got to make sure about the funding and the plans and what represents success for you as a coach or a manager. If you don't ask those questions, you find yourself set so very easily. Uh, and then that vicious circle continues and you, you're in a steep decline. So for me, uh, I, I enjoyed the people. I met them once in London and then up in Glasgow. I enjoyed that side. Um, the conversation went very easily. I, I got my ideas across. I think as a manager, a coach, if you're enjoying the conversation, you're talking with a real passion uh, and where you see the, the club going and the team and how you want to play and what your what your job is as, as first team manager or first team coach. Having someone of David Weir's quality alongside you and his standing at the club and what he thinks of Rangers is another huge benefit. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a, a meeting whereby I could get my ideas across, my philosophy, my desires, where I wanted the club to be. I'd done my homework. I knew that where Rangers had been um, and I knew the gap financially to Celtic I knew the the rivalry uh, and it really hurts me still now people say he never knew the size of the job I'm not an idiot I'm not a rocket scientist but I'm not an idiot and I knew all along I knew exactly the expectation but I always said year three for me was always going to be the year that we could go for them and catch them um, so that was a frustration but no the interview process was good good questions both ways uh, and once they're involved I'll tell you a true story uh, my son's been involved in football young academy player, young professional. And uh, I'd had the second interview and I came back and I had two other very good offers on the table. Very lucky, as I said earlier. And he said to me, go on to YouTube and watch Penny Arcade in the, in the old firm game. He says, eight minutes long, Dad. I'm not going to let you. And he didn't let me leave the room, Tommy, until this had played out. And when you see that, there's no turning down Rangers. Well, you know, that's a, I, I can fully subscribe to that, Mark. And I'm going to let you off the hook here. I'm not asking you to give us a sing song. Right, this is not a karaoke pod. If you value your windows in your house, Tommy, you don't want me singing down the line. That's that's for sure. <laughs> but it's uh, no, that was a that's a true story. I was not I'm an iron, but the other clubs were were big sized clubs, big history, and it was as I say, an honour to be to be asked. So it was, it was a, a decision you had to take very seriously. Can I ask you? Can I ask you who are you? Are you... It, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right. I'm honest with you, but suffice to say, you know, good good to be in history in one of them and good good Premier League pedigree and it was I was very lucky but I had a good CV coming out of Brentford you know I'd been there for five years I'd been sporting director we had a squad that included the likes of James Tarkowski and Hotter and Andre Gray and these type of players you know Alan Judge and Pritchard so all Premier League boys so it was a the recruitment had gone really well uh, there's a role of Frank McParland for example and David Weir and we had a good team we had a good team and we surprised a lot of people so the CV was strong and, and the, the the manner of my departure there was unusual. Um, so I had I didn't upset people. I hope I handled it with respect and, and, and dignity, which I think served well. And that's another good point to managers. When I go on courses, I speak to people. You know, there's no point venting frustration, being angry, because it, it comes back to bite you. You have to make sure you always try and conduct your business with real integrity and dignity, Tom. If you do that in football, it holds you in good stead. I think that's good and wise words for any any walk of life to be to be honest with you. So um, I suppose the question then from that is you've cycled through your vision year year three being being the uh, the thought process. I was going to touch on this later, but it's probably useful to to just pick up on it now. You've been sold the vision by the club. You've sold them your vision. So there's a buy into that year three and. I know you've done your homework. You're obviously not a not a stupid man, as you as you referenced there. You've got David David Weir in your corner as well. Was there just some level of thought though that the the, the fans could come with you on that journey? 
Um, so I'm a, I'm a fan, obviously, myself, right? Season ticket holder and all that. And I know Rangers fans, by and large, can be a demanding bunch, right? Well, I think that's probably the best way, to, best way to put it. Was there any thought that they might not follow us on this journey and they might expect... And we'll touch on some elements and milestones that went through your journey there as well, but what was your thoughts from the outside of that? At the start? Yeah. I think um, you have to... I look very closely at where the club have been. You know, what happened, and obviously well documented, you know, far more than me, Tommy. But where the club had been, um, what happened the previous season, uh, and that's no disrespect to anyone, by the way, I'm very clear on that. It was just where, what had happened the previous season um, and, and the expectation of the fans. And if I jump forward to Nottingham Forest, for example, when I looked at the, that, there's a largely older crowd, largely male crowd, who had been, many had been brought up in the Brian Clough era and tremendous, outstanding success in 78, 79, 80, etc. Um, and I knew that many of the Rangers fans would have been brought up on the European success, Manchester, UEFA Cup finals, Davy Weir, etc., and the magnificent players that they've they've signed. And we were a million miles away from that. On the first day of training, we had nine players. Do you remember? I think the 13 boys had been released. Yep. We literally had nine on that first day. I went to the academy and built over players, including the young Barry Mackay. Um, but we that's where the club was. So I, I knew that, and I'd hoped that, I went to the press officer and said, we've got to communicate more to the fans. And press guys shy away from that. But I said that the more you can give the fans, you know, it's their club, the better the level of communication, the more we can explain what we're trying to do, our timescales, our vision, what represents success. And that was always my aim, Tommy. And I think, you know, I hope the press guys always say, I was very accommodating, but try to let the fans know, listen, when we played Celtic and we beat them in that semi-final, for example, we had young boys, Don Ball, young Loney, and you know Jason Holt coming on the free, Andy Halliday coming on the free. They, those three combined were on a fraction of Scott Brown's wages. That's not being lacking a bread. That's just where we were as a club. So my, my only worry was that fans' expectation was not realistic. So that's why the communication and media had to be so clear and hopefully get across the key messages. Yeah, I think sometimes people, people forget the start to that uh, initial, you know, 15-16 season and maybe slightly unfair uh, in some of the revisionism of, of your uh, position at that point because certainly from the outside, and you've touched on it there, not only the the lack of, you know, senior players that could be dropped in in the, the bedding-in periods that, you know, you'll be closer to than I am from a coaching perspective, but also I imagine, and I'm keen to get your opinion here, it would seem logical to me that the infrastructure of the club probably needed refinement as well you know we all know where we were but in terms of player recruitment scouting analysis doing all that detailed work and I know you know Franklin Parland was obviously in there as somebody you trusted and a name in the game but it seems to me that it was all predicated on individuals as opposed to a collective infrastructure that you could just walk into is that is that fair? Yeah I think it is I think you know the quality of a I'm saying this very very seriously Lee Wallace and Kenny Miller were outstanding in, in how they helped me as senior pros who had seen the big times at the club um, and have been on that journey and their influence and their backing was was very, very important. I can't speak highly enough for those two guys. And that's not said because of what happened later. That's just me being very genuine uh, coming to Rangers. But it, it was important to get a philosophy in place, a work ethic in place, a structure in place, you know, the calendar. There's the next six weeks, guys. This is what we're going to do. This is our training schedule. This is how we're going to work. This is what we expect. You know, early is on time, on time is late. Small details. Uh, and it's about having that and being honest and speaking to people. And as I said, that people forget that how many free transfers came in. So the Danny Wilsons, the Wes Fodringhams, you know, Rob Keenan comes in, Holty, Halliday, Waghorn, Tavernier. All of these players coming in, were all, you know, to, we spent hardly any money. Uh, and, and as I say, wages which were a fraction. Now, the wages which were bigger than our rivals, in terms of like an Aberdeen or a Hibs or Hearts, Absolutely, because of the size of Rangers, but but way behind, multiples behind the rivals across the city. And that's what I was trying to get across, not in a um, feeling sorry mood or whatever, just a realistic, we've got to build up here. They've got a team packed of international, packed with international players in their squad. We have to work towards that. And the one commodity you need, Tommy, is time. You can't change it. That semi-final was fantastic, for example, but nine times out of ten, we're going to lose that game. Patrick Robertson is miss and... You know, they hit the bar, etc. We were very, very good on the day. Don't get me wrong. The players were outstanding. All credit to them. But young Don Ball, you know, young Holty, Halliday, Andy Halliday, to whom the club means so much, 
literally a fraction of one player's wages. And that's what I was trying to say, that I want the fans to understand that because A, how good a job those young guys did on the pitch. But in reality, we've got a big gap to close here and it's going to take time to close it. Yeah, and I think there's I think there's now a growing realization, you know, uh, of some of the some of the stresses and pressures and specific circumstances uh, of of that particular start to the season and, and the tenure in general. Uh, I should say, you know, we're covering a lot of ground here, and you've completely blown the sequence of my questions set out of the water. So uh, I can only apologise. Ask away, and I'll try and avoid doubling up on myself. No, no, this is much better. I prefer it to be a, a conversation uh, than, a, than a scripted uh, one because more interesting things come out. And certainly, you mentioned there putting a philosophy and a, a work ethic into the into the club. And again, it's no denigration on people who had went went before, but every manager puts their own. I think uh, in terms of your um, previous phraseology when you were at Brentford, you put your own fingerprint on the team and on on the staff there. I'm just really interested on what was the Mark Warburton philosophy. Coming in, you've spoken to the board, you're obviously selling that to players as well, and you're selling it to the senior players who were there, your, your Kenny Mills, your Lee Wallaces, you, you all need to get buy-in. What was the Mark Warburton philosophy? I think I've always, hopefully you can see from the teams and, and QPR now, in terms, I think we're the third highest scores in the championship down here, and one of the smallest budgets. So the philosophy for me is that the fans pay to be entertained. That's on one side. The fans want to enjoy watching their team play week in, week out. It's expensive to support the team. At the same time, you've got to balance that with you have to win games of football. But I want players who enjoy the football, Tommy. I want players who enjoy taking it, who are brave on the football. Brave, not reckless, who are brave. I like playing out from the battle, I like taking care of the football. But if we have to bypass the press, for example, and go over the top, let me do that. So I like players who can make good decisions. And I think the job of a manager and coaching staff like Davy and Frank, etc., Jim Stewart, is to make sure we give players the, the infrastructure to develop and succeed. That's our job. So my, you know, the first, the first meeting with the players that every club I go to is, this is how we're going to play. I want you to be brave, make good decisions, get on the ball. First thought, play forward, split a unit. If you can't go forward, go square. If you can't go square, go back. And we recycle again and we play. So it's it, obviously far more detailed than that, but that's what that's the basic message. I want players to not fear a mistake. Mistakes are the only way we learn. So you know, sometimes the fans. But what was different for me is Brentford were favourites relegation. We got promoted with Wolves from League One, and then we were favourites relegation, and we could surprise teams, really surprise teams. Um, and by the time they realised we were good, it was too late. We were second behind Bournemouth in the table and pushing for promotion to the Premier League. And that's the truth. You know, we were and we hurt teams. So when you come to Rangers in, in, in the Championship, now they're the big dogs. Now they're expected to go up. Now teams put 10 men behind the ball and wait for a set piece. So I think we were brave in that first year in terms of leaving players high and wide. If you remember Barry Mackay sent out wide or Dean Shields out wide, etc., we did that and teams weren't sure how to deal with us and we had the quality to hurt them. And we won the league by 11, 13 points, whatever it was. But as I say, then you, that was my philosophy. Then you go to the Premier League and you have the only team that matters without being disrespectful to any other team is Celtic. And that's what you learn. And I, the only thing that I, can, I maybe was naive was the time commodity or the commodity of time because we had to close a gap. Every single position, Celtic had international players. And we've got young loanees and young guys, free transfers, doing a great job who were developing all credit to them. But we had to, we had to try and close that gap. But to close it too quickly, Tommy, without the money behind us, we couldn't go and spend three, four, five on a player. Joey Barton was free. Nico Cranshaw was free. I hear Nico Cranshaw on 25 grand a week. Nonsense. Divide that by, you know, it's fractions of that. Clint Hill, free, low salary. Again, fractions of what his opponent would be on. And, and, and that's the truth of it. So... It was a case of the philosophy was clear. We want to play. We want to entertain. Ibox was a club for me. Great tradition, great history. But we had to make sure the 50,000 fans and the 1,000 watching were entertained. And, and that was a, a key part. Not naive, not, not, not amateurish, just to make sure we, we set out the stall to win games of football in a manner that the Ibox faithful would hopefully enjoy. I think that's probably a good a good point to ask maybe a slightly more challenging question there. And it draws together a couple of the points that you've you've touched on. We come out of Brentford with a really good CV, good noise round about you. We certainly as a, a support. It's a coup. Uh, I think 
it'd be good to get your take on this. I think there's a, a slight uh, impact that you maybe suffered from in terms of some of the players that you developed at Brentford and were able to sell on. There was maybe an expectation that it'd be an instant gem finder, so to speak, and we can, we can touch on that in a moment. But one, one of the criticisms that was put to you um, later on in, in your tenure is there was a perceived lack of flexibility in terms of uh, team selection tactics, being able to rough it up for the Scottish game and understand, you know, how to do that. I, I, I do think that's, you know, to a large extent unfair. But was there a horses for courses element to that or was it just a case of I'm sticking with the philosophy and eventually it'll come good? Now, listen, first two, Tommy, I came out one day and I said uh, plan A, or plan B rather, is to do plan A better. And I have been caned more times than you've had hot drinks for the saying that. Mark, now, I, made a point, I made a point of not regurgitating that quote to you. Listen, listen, Tommy, it's an open interview. There's no secrets. And I get so frustrated because if anyone's got a brain in football, I'll be, I'll be blunt. They could be blunt with me. I'll be equally as blunt. I got told he's playing this formation. They were so wrong. If we play one and two in midfield, or two and a one, two sitters, maybe at Celtic Park. If we play four, two, three, one, for example, as I have done regularly with QPR, or we change it slightly, it's still four, three, three. It's still the same formation, but tweaking within. If we narrow up the wide players, for example, or we have the number, the, the, the 10 drop deep to create the overload in midfield, whatever we do, it, it's just tweaks within a, an overall generic four, three, three. And yet people didn't see it. He's never changed it. He hasn't got a plan B. And I felt like saying, you idiots, can you not see that I'm playing two sitters, not one? Can you not see the rotation of Cranchar, Halliday and Don Ball, for example? But you, if you come out in the press in Scotland, I did a piece for uh, BBC earlier in terms of uh, speaking on a new show. And I, and I said, you know, you come out and you get caned in the media. The Scottish media is unlike anywhere else. And they, they somehow, there's some really good journalists, but they seem to think they have the right to, to really intrude on privacy and make some damning statements. And the fact is, I was honest. Now, I heard some of the bar... Please don't I'll compare myself to some of the Barcelona, by the way, Tommy, but... <laughs> a few months later, that's, the, that's the headline I'm taking away from this. No, please don't. But I heard, I heard someone at Barca say, say, plan B is... Or plan A, B is to do plan A better. And I went, hang on a second. I got caned for saying that. So all I'm saying is, if you watch the game of football and you really understand football, as, you, as people claim they do, watch the tweaks in the formation. Did Barry Mackay stay wide? Did, did, Lee, you know, did Lee Wallace's left fullback come in narrow and, and get on half turn and play forward? Did you see Andy Halliday go into a false fullback, dropping in while Lee moved forward and Barry Mackay narrowed up? If they didn't see it, don't make rude, you know, ignorant comments as you were doing. And that was it. You want to come back and down south you can. And you can have good debate. I just found that the Scottish media, once they set their stall out, I landed at Glasgow Airport. I digress a bit. I landed at Glasgow Airport when I first arrived at Rangers. And the good press guy said, there'll always be a good cop and a bad cop in Glasgow. They can't be two of the same. So I looked at him and he said to me, right now, Ronnie, he said, he's the bad cop. So he said, whatever you do, you're going to be the good cop. He went, just be careful if Ronnie goes. Lo and behold, I was a good cop. All went well. Second season, Brendan arrives with a good friend and he's a good cop and we were getting absolutely caned. After drawing the first game to Hamilton, you would have thought it was the end of the world. But that's what you learn to deal with, Tommy. But as I say, in terms of tactics, no, what I, what I would go back to that question and say, how do young players learn? They learn from their mistakes. So if, for example, young Rob Keenan takes the ball uh, and got caught and causes a problem, the crowd will boo. But it's if he does it again, it's an issue. If he learns from that and it's better for it, then we all benefit as a team. And that's how players, that's how we learn in life. We only ever learn from mistakes, Tommy. So I don't want to sound like some philosopher here, but it was getting the boys to make good decisions, understanding when to get on a ball and play, understanding when to change tactics in the middle of a game. And that's what you get paid for. And the better the player, the better decisions they make. Do, do, you, think the, do you think the players matched up to the expectation and pressure then? In terms of that, so being that direct, as you said, let's have a, di a direct conversation. I can get on board and, and always thought that there was a fluidity to the tactics and they wouldn't be as static as people batter you over the head with the, that plan A, plan B better type of scenario, right? Because there's always a nuance to that and people just need to watch what the players are doing. It's, it's quite, quite simple. I did find some of the players brought in, though, 
uh, wouldn't immediately seem like Mark Warburton players or where they would naturally fit into the, the system. So, you know, we're jumping across you know, both seasons here. Sorry, so, ask questions. Aye, so I'm, I'm wondering, um, and this is no, you know, attack on the players themselves, right, but a Michael O'Halloran didn't really seem to sit, fit the system and, and never really made it. Uh, I'm looking at a, a Garner, these types of guys. I'm looking at a Sendros, which had all the, the hallmarks of a Christ Almighty, we could do a wee bit more extra cover and I've maybe not got my first, second or third choices in. Um, uh, and Sendros, I remember the, the media back and forward on that as well. It was looking at other things. So some of the choices did seem a bit strange and it'd be good to get your kind of public opinion on, or thoughts on why they were in the door. No, absolutely. Listen, no problem with that at all. Firstly, remember Michael Hallowan played against us and was outstanding at Ibox. Remember the game? Uh, and he had pace and power up top. And I was looking for that pace. We needed more pace. And I was thinking, how do you hurt Celtic and Aberdeen? And pace is a big one. You look at the QPR now, they like to buy tea and they've got pace and power. And that's what I wanted. So Michael Hallowan had pace and power. Um, I'm never going to criticise a player and it didn't work out. You know, it didn't work out. But again, if you get seven out of ten right, I was looking, I was referring to Tav was playing, Wes was playing, you know, Waghorn scored 30 odd goals in the first year, Halliday, Holt, all these players, Don Ball and no wages. So you get a lot right, then you move into the penalty. Send to us, you mentioned, we couldn't get the centre half. I, I hear these talks about Lescott. Honestly, I met Jolien uh, and he clearly, medically, it wasn't right. Mm. You know, great player in his, in his day, medically, it wasn't right. Top individual. But I met with him and a picture was taken and then suddenly it's a disaster of a signing. It was never being signed. Can I ask you who, who else was in the frame for you from a centre-back perspective? Because, again, we're picking on Sendros, but it was quite obvious that Sendros was not the, the first, third, or second or third choice and a bit of a squad player. Yeah, Clint Hill, who I wish you'd love Clint Hill five years ago, for example. What a top professional, top player. When we played at Parkhead, for example, Clint had just come in and wasn't fit enough and I had I lost Clint for you know two months to an injury, I didn't I couldn't afford to do it. Great in hindsight to say, take the risk, start with him. What happened with the sending off and injury, etc. But hindsight's a marvelous thing, Tommy. But because it's Rangers, another thing fans have to understand is when people see the, the promotion from the championship and they see fifty thousand packed to iBox and what a club it is, the impression is they've got money. They've got, those boys must have money to spend. We didn't. We didn't have the money. All that was going on was going on. So we look at look at Nico, look at Clint, look at these. They're all free transfers. They're all, all free then, transfers. Then, Mark, that, that's a really interesting question. Sorry to, to interrupt there, but that's all right. did you find that that was happening when you were going out to the market, or you and Frank, or whatever it was looking like, that there was unreasonable expectation from the players you were targeting and their agents? Yeah, there's 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 a, a you look at Glasgow. What a club. I'm saying this very honestly. I'm just speaking as if we're in a pub having a conversation here. And you look at it from the outside and match day is magnificent and the spectacle and the, the, the fervour of the fans and the support home and away. And agents would come up and watch a game and go, right, he must be. And then, of course, they read the Scottish media. Nico Cranchard, 25 a week? No, he's not. But, of course, in their mind, it was, well, this is a club that must be paying 20, 25 a week. Celtic are? No. And it wasn't Tommy, and it was you were fighting that. And Frank, uh, I've got to tell you, look at his, his pedigree, look at his CV. What the number of players that he has signed, and, and the club have made clubs have made millions and millions of pounds from his from his work. It, it was difficult for him to get players to come, and again, some other players for the market we were fishing in. We weren't looking at the young, hungry guys going to Championship and Premier League down south. So they were either very young on loan, Don Ball types, or they were Clint Hill at the end of their career and a privilege to come to a club like Rangers. But then they went, ooh, Kilmarnock, plastic pitch. Hamilton, plastic pitch. Not sure we can play there. And you think, hang on a second. You know, I can't be signing players who can't play here, can't play there. So it was always fighting. I went to New York, for example, to get Nico. And I knew he was a stone and a bit overweight. And Nico won't mind me saying so. I saw him in New York and I wanted him to come back, A, to get fit, to impact. The best technician, Tommy, one of the very best that Rangers would have seen. And I mean that through all the years. You, all the great players they've had. Nico, technically, outstanding. We did the first session in Charleston on a pre-season. Kenny Miller turned to me and said, what a player this boy is. The best I've seen. He was that good. But of course, he was past his best. He had 88 caps for Croatia. Of course, he was past his best. If he wasn't, 
would we get him on a free on really low wages? It wouldn't happen. So all I was saying was I want him to come in to A, get him fit to impact certain games, and B, to show the young players that's world-class. You know, people talk about world-class and use that loosely. Look at that man work. Everything he did, Tommy, in the gym, rehab, he was a world-class athlete. And that's what I wanted that impression to rub off on the young players. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly I don't think anybody, uh, anybody with any sense of football would question Nico Cranshaw's ability. And like you said, yeah. I think everybody realised that he's coming from coming from the States. He's not played in a while. He's not going to be top, you know, top condition. And then unfortunate uh, injury as well, which effectively ended ended what had been a, a, a really successful career. Uh, an exceptional player, just uh, bad circumstances all round about it. But Tommy, that's a pommy of fishing. That's the point I'm trying to make. Is, well, I, I you know, you, we could never afford Nico three or four years earlier, or Clint Hill three or four years earlier. You know, getting tabs at 200 grand and Waggy at 60 grand. These type of deals were what we could afford, and it's hard for Rangers fans to swallow that, having the understanding the history and the and the pedigree of the club and where it's been all over the decades. But right now, the club, or right then, the club was in a in a bad position. And we still can't compete at the moment. I mean, the Rangers, I'm, I'm really pleased. I wish Stephen all the very best, you know, done a great job. And, and I hope very much the board continue to back him and give him the investment that he needs. That's a, a, a genuine hope for me. But at the time, our wage bill was a fraction of our rivals. And, and that was the problem. And, and let's go back to my earlier comment. Communication with the media, Tommy. Get the message across. We'll get there, but just give us time. I, I think perception's always, uh, you know, always key in everything. You're right. Once a, a narrative's been set in the Scottish media, it's difficult to get out from under that rock. And there is always a, you know, somebody's always on the losing side when it comes to the two two clubs. Uh, yeah. Somebody's got to be in that bad pot, and uh, you've lived through both of them. Uh, and I imagine some of those, you know, it stings. Uh, one would imagine. So, you know, just get, just getting ready to move away from individual players, but I do want to touch on what is arguably the marquee signing uh, of the the Mark Warburton reign which is Joey Barton. Uh, now, I'm going to put aside all the media commitments they've had in terms of pre-season, etc. I'm just interested that from the outside, it seemed as though, you know, obviously, did a dynamite season. I think it was in the uh, team of the year in the championship. Yeah. Burnley it comes up. There's obviously talent there. comes with a lot of baggage. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And he was brought up to see, well, it looked from the outside that he was going to be this leader of the, the midfield I'm not entirely convinced that's what you got. It would be good to understand from your perspective how it maybe all went wrong, but also what he was there to deliver. Firstly, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of some uh, derogatory comments made by an individual recently. And I, and I said at the time, I'm not going to get drawn into a, a playground spat. I think we've got to maintain dignity. So I'll, I'll not be derogatory, Tommy. But what if you look at the season before, outstanding for Burnley. Now, Sean Dyche is a very good friend. We work closely together at Watford and that, and uh, we speak regularly. And, and he can only speak, you know, so highly of Joey. And Ian Wone, his colleague and good friend, again, spoke so highly. We did so much research. Met with Joey on several occasions. He's hungry, and you can get Joey. He can be very articulate. He's uh, passionate about the game, intelligent about the game. And as I say, he was Championship Team of the Year and could have stayed at Burnley. So, I, and I knew... We had to try and really galvanise and excite the iBox fan base and also the impact on season tickets. Don't forget, we sold 43,000 season tickets. We is all of us going out to the Premier League. So his, his signing, I think, was described as the best bit of business in the summer. I wanted someone to come in. I looked at Scott Brown and I looked at the, you know, Rogic and I looked at the midfield and Armstrong. And I'm thinking they've got so much quality and international players we need someone to come in here and really stand up. Andy Halliday all day long is a top lad, but I wanted someone, and Joey's got a really good football CV, and I wanted someone to come in fit off the back of that season. Um, and as doing all of our research, Tommy, I put my hand up and say, I, 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 if I looked at it again and followed the same process, there's nothing more I could have done in terms of you know, due diligence, and we would have probably reached the same conclusion. So did it work? No, absolutely no. You know, Joey would be the first to say it didn't work, and I'll be the first to say it absolutely didn't work. There was no transfer fee involved. You know, again, free transfer. We weren't paying two million quid for Jay Barton to come up, not at all. And I wanted that really strong figure, and for a number of reasons, it didn't work out. But as I say, once it didn't work out, then you get all the papers saying, "Well, why can't you give us more details?" Because there was a lawsuit. 
there's a there's a legal case going on and, and at that point you know and i know you can't mention anything in the public so you know you get caned by the media again they knew we couldn't say anything yet glorified in in ripping rangers and ourselves to pieces that was nonsense they should have just come out legal case can't say anything it didn't work tommy but i'll refer back to the ones that do work you know we, we talk about brent you, you said me earlier and the Tarkowskis and the Andre Grays and the Hotters and the Odebayus and the Judges and the Pritchards. Great, but there's going to be four or five that you've never heard of that didn't work because no manager in this world gets everyone right. And if you can get seven out of ten right, you've done a great job. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would you know, disagree with, with those comments. I think uh, probably a nexus of a few things of expectations, the, the, you know, the players' own comments, the thought process, and then really the, the, um, the performances didn't, didn't live up to didn't live up to the hype as you said you know it's not calling out anybody it's uh, it's just understanding you know what had went what had went wrong and amongst all that before i absolutely move on for the players how do you feel because this is a one that is really sore with the, the rangers support as well or not sore but a feeling of what could have been and we, our hearts all go out to him jordan rossiter whose uh, injury hell just seems to you know be never ending but there's obviously a hell of a lot of talent in there as well it drove, I was so frustrated for the boy. I felt so sorry for him. Uh, and again, you know, I'm going to refer back to the media before I answer your question. If I come out and say the boy's out for three months or four months, you know, it kills the lad and, oh, my God, it's a nightmare signing. Why did you sign? If I say, well, he's, he's not really tweet, but hopefully he's getting closer. You get, I, I must get five messages a day, Tommy, from fans saying, is he any closer? Is, is he coming back yet? <laughs> You know, and it's great, a bit of banter, listen, we'll, we'll enjoy that. But the fact is, he, he he has so much potential. You know, when you see him play down south, you know, running games, and he could be he could be at the highest level. But he's just been very, very unfortunate with injury. And um, you get into that rut sometimes, and you you know, you know shake off the big one, and you get the niggle in the hamstring, and you get the hamstring sorted, and the calf goes. And you, you've got to feel, if, if someone is lazy in their rehab, there's no sympathy for them. But Jordan, outstanding, outstanding. You know, you watch Nico Cranchar after Crucia, how he worked in the gym. But they, they, they show you the good athletes and the good characters and those the real desire. Jordan just wanted to play for the club. You can see when he ran on, he just wanted to play. There's a real player and such a frustration that the Ibox, guy, Ibox fan base never got to see what we know is there. Uh, it's a, it's a, really, a really sad story, but obviously, you know, we wish him all the best and hope he's, he flourishes. I feel that we should actually spend some time talking about games to be honest with you, Mark, um, as opposed to as opposed to players. So you've come in, you're in that first season, the first game's the Challenge Cup. I think uh, the 6-2 win over Hibs, uh, where everything just goes absolutely perfectly and uh, we're in that honeymoon period. But if I press the fast-forward button and I'll go to that semi-final, I'm just wondering, in terms of a, a manager who's experiencing, you know, the, the old firm coming up from down south, and that's not to say you weren't aware because you obviously were and had done your research. Hamden's a hell of a big place, um, even bigger, I'd imagine, when it goes wrong, and we'll touch on that. But what's going through Mark Warburton's mind is Rogic's penalty sails over the bar, and the blue half of the stadium goes absolutely mental. Where, where did you find yourself there? I found myself, you saw my reaction, I was I was so pleased. I, I had Jim's the first two people were Jim Stewart and David Weir, Rangers through and through. Top. I can't speak high enough for those two people, Tommy. Um, and, and I knew what it meant to them. That was the first hug, because I knew that their passion for the club and that was a day that they deserved. Um, then you look at the fan base and you if you watch me, I look at the fan. I, I don't like being in front of fans giving it all this. Punching it. I don't like not through a lack of of passion, emotional desire or commitment, none of that at all. But you've got to do you got to win something first before you get in front of those fans and do that. So for me it was just what it meant to the blue side of Glasgow. And where and I just immediately thought where they'd been. I've said in all the interviews since and different reports that I knew where the club had been. And then to have that day, the Petrofat was great. The blue side took over the stadium and it was a comfortable win and good performance of silverware, great. But beating Celtic in, in that style, you know, in a game where we, we didn't, we weren't fluky, we played really well. I, I watched the game back recently because it was on TV and I, I sat and it was peeing down with rain here and I watched the, uh, the game with a couple of beers and you go, we were really good. We were really good for a long stage of that game. Young guys stood up tremendously well. Kenny Lee, these guys outstanding. 
we were very, very good. But I knew what it meant. And that for me, I was in an interview the other day and they said, what's your best moment at Glasgow? I said, yeah, you could talk about you know, that game, but it's keeping the blue side of Glasgow, giving some of them something to smile and cheer about. I don't want to sound like an old man here on a, <laughs> on a soapbox, not at all, but you'd, I'd taken that job knowing where the club had been. Mm -hmm. you know, I, did a, I did a piece, a video, like a motivational piece to the boys with, with Jess Glynn singing, like, you know, take me home. And the idea was to get Rangers back to the Premier League to show where they'd been, that the small grounds that they'd turned up at and very unlike Rangers and the tough times. And I showed that because that journey they'd been on, the fans needed that type of day, wanted that type of day. And to be able to give it to them as a club, not me, as a, as a squad of a football department, to be able to give it to the fans, that just meant everything. Then, then I got home. I got home to afterwards? Uh, do you remember the party afterwards? Or is it a blur? No, listen, I had, I had family and it was a very proud day. But then I, I, I'm not a huge drinker. I like a glass of wine, don't get me wrong, but I'm not a massive drinker. But I remember thinking, uh, with my, sitting with my son and my wife, etc., thinking, wow, the expectation now is going to go through the roof. And, and that was, and that's not me being very forward thinking. It was just, I said to David Weir, oh my word, we've hit the blue touch paper here. Because the, you know, straight away, I knew Ronnie's team, I knew he was under pressure. And the fact is, their squad should have won that game. Any Rangers fan would say that. The squad in terms of value and international experience. But look at Don Ball. Look how he stood up. You know, look at Wes. Look at Rob Keenan playing out from the back on that day. Halliday and Holty and all of these guys. Look at the penalties. Geddy and, and Nicky Law. Outstanding. So he stood up. But nine times out of ten, we'll lose that game just in terms of value of squad. So I just thought to myself, where is this going to leave us for the next season? We were promoted by then. And I'm thinking, an alarm bell was going off when I should have been really really joyful no well, i think that's a, a reasonable it's a reasonable comment though so i mean i was there uh completely a complete high always always good to beat them um i suppose it's a natural touch point of from that you get the low of the cup final uh the low for all of us uh, of the cup final and it'd be good to get your thoughts on on that because I, th I thought there was some some poor performances that day some poor individual performances but also um we just got a wee bit of unlucky as well but also fast forwarding into some of the the old firm games when when you do come up and get promoted the five one game unfortunately with Sandro sending off interesting you know the sequence of events that led to him they're hopeful for me Mark I don't know about you right I just don't I don't want to be a player but I'm really interested as well sorry just on this the second old firm game I think is a, a watershed moment for you and maybe that team to an extent because I was there that day as well. We put in a right good performance. Yeah. Beat two one. I thought we, you know, just were unlucky with the small margins, and I got a sense that there was just a wee bit of belief that drained away that day because th that was totally toe stuff in that game. I thought. Interesting. Yeah. You did right. You did right. I thought Harry Forrester should have scored right at the death. Kenny Miller just missed a great chance, and we could have easily won that game, Tommy. So I was proud of that performance because nothing had really changed. You just meant, you know, I mentioned Harry Forrester. You know, free transfer, uh, low wage, again, you know, and, and, and that's what I'm trying to say to people. If, if you go up against someone, whatever job you're in, if you go up against someone, if you go up in a, in a car race and you've got a Ford Mondeo and a guy's got a Maserati, you know, you, you're going to struggle 99 times out of 100. He might break down once and you win the, game, win the race. But that, I, I, I was trying to say that, come on, let the fans know where we are. Can't tell them about wages. You can't give them more information. Then they'll understand where we are. So if you, if you go back to where we start, what was the first part of that question? The cup final. Um, I, when we played Celtic, uh, we sat at Mahal and there was no fear. There was no fear in the squad. They were buzzing. I'm looking around thinking, first old firm game. How's young Dom going to be? How's Holty going to be? How's Gideon going to be, etc.? Fearless, Tommy. They, were, they couldn't wait for kickoff. When we had, then we had the final and you had this ludicrous three-week break. Don Ball suspended. The lone players, the Walshies and these guys coming back, um, they couldn't play in the final. They weren't eligible. And when I named only five subs, someone said I was being, making a statement. I wasn't. We had five bodies. And that three-week gap, we went down. To, I couldn't find a game because everyone had finished. Um, I went down to Tottenham and a good friends at Tottenham who helped us out and, and they kindly paid us under-23 game. Uh, and again, it was just tedium dragging on. And the players, I just felt, we'd won the league. 
They'd beaten Celtic in this huge game, and this was a bridge too far. Not and listen, there's no disrespect. Hibs won the game. I'm not in any way being disrespectful to our opponent, but we were just running an empty. And I, when I went into that game, I'm never going to say it beforehand. I could just sense there was a tiredness, there was a fatigue. Boys had done a great job. And because you play for Rangers, it's not the same as playing for the other clubs. That expectation, the blue jersey, they'd done magnificently well. Now they'd, they'd won the league, ticked a box. They'd beaten Celtic the same final, got the final, ticked a box. Won the Petrovact, ticked a box. And they'd done a job. And they deserved so much credit, the boys. They were just, seriously, Tommy, they were just shattered. And I knew then. And on the day, I thought we'd done enough. You know, we get the goal. Andy, and I'm thinking, we've done enough here. And I turned to David and went, I don't know how we, you know, because I knew we were empty. And then, of course, what happened in the last five minutes happened. And, yeah, you said you were gutted. You've no idea how gutted I was. But I, I just think it was just, I got a different sensation from the players. And it was really tough for them. Yeah, well, I, I think that's, that's a, fair, a fair synopsis, actually. So, if I go back to that then with the with the, the old firm games once you come up, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just wondering from a, a manager's perspective, right, you, you've come off a, that's a right tough defeat, right? It's cup final. Some of these boys might never play in a cup final again, right? It's highlight yeah. of careers, right? So, coming off the back of that, the media goes crazy because you know what it's like. You've touched on that. Yeah. Get into the summer, you try and pair everybody down, go away, sit on a beach, come back, we'll get back in here. You make some big signings. Then you hit the start of that season. There's the going for 55. You've spoken about that before. And I, I suppose I'm less concerned about you because you seem you know, robust. You're the manager. You know how to handle the, the message. I'm wondering about that on the players. You then run into a draw on the opening day against Hamilton. You've got three draws in the league in the first six games. And then you've got the, the, the first Old Firm game where there's a, a heavy defeat. At what point did you look about the dressing room? Because I, I sense, you tell me if I'm wrong, but there must have been a moment you look and you go, this is going to be a, a right tough gig to get these players to where they need to be. And I don't necessarily see the, the, the investment because you, everybody knows where we were. At what point does that become a real tough challenge for you? I think, um, good question. I think uh, that first game, going for 55, as you said, I've, I've mentioned that, and, and that was a, a disaster in terms of light and blue touch paper. That's fine. Went away at Dundee, and what happened, happened. Then you go to, let me touch on the 5-1 game, first of all. So we go into this game, and again, Clint Hill wasn't ready. Um, I wanted Joey in there. Nico, if you remember, got the early yellow card, could have been sent off. Then after, it was, we go in at 2-1 at halftime, and you watch the game. And uh, it was a bit nip and tuck first 20 minutes. They go 2 0 up with Dembele, et cetera. Then we get the goal, and you go in going, hmm, it's all right, it's okay. And then the first 15 minutes of the second half, you remember it, Tommy, we were good. Barry Mackay just rolled the ball past the far post. That would have gone 2 all. They get the goal on 60 odd, whether it's 65, and it's 3 1. Now I'm looking at it, we were still in the game. We were still in the game. We had a couple of good attacks, and I'm thinking, if we get a goal here at 3-2, we're in this because the crowd will go quiet and nervous and we'll have a go. So I looked at the bench and I had Harry Forrester. So I'm thinking, Harry's been good, he's been bright. Remember the first season? And I'm thinking, get Harry involved. And I made that substitution. My mindset was, get the goal, 3-2, and we'll be okay. And then almost immediately, send-offs get sent off and Rob Keenan pulls a hamstring. So if you remember, we go down straight away Joey Barton has to go into a back three with Lee Wallace and, and Tavernier. We've got nine men on the pitch. And, and that was it. And we went from 3-1 to 5-1. Now, I was told afterwards by a couple of very famous Rangers people, you should have just put a defender, put Clint on there and take a 3-1 defeat. That's not in my psyche, Tommy. You took me earlier about what's my philosophy. I'm thinking with a half hour ago and we're doing all right, go for the goal. Go for the goal. Get 3-2, quiet the, the parkhead crowd and see how the last 10 minutes pans out. A question, would you play that out differently? Given the impact that had publicly as well and maybe on the dressing room and maybe on you personally, um, would, you, yeah. would you play that hand the same way? Well, I'll ask you the question then. At 3-1 down, would you put on a defender and defend a 3-1 defeat? No, I'd have slated you from the, from the stands, to be honest with you. I, would have, I wouldn't like you uh, or make myself look better. I, I'd have had a go at you if you'd have. You see, so my point is, it's great when people criticise, not saying you, Tommy, but any football fan will, will voice, that's why we love the game of opinion. But that's a situation with 25, 30 to go, we're in it still. If we were getting battered, I'd have put on Clint Hill and gone, take V1 and 
hang on here. We weren't. We weren't getting battered and watch the game and that's a fair assessment. So, and then all of a sudden what happens in the last 10 minutes happens and I, did I understand the implications? Of course I did. Did I want a 5-1 defeat? Of course I did not. But I thought we were in it and I wanted to show and stick to my philosophy. Now, if I didn't and I defended, it came off losing the game 3-1 and someone said to me, why didn't you have a go? You had an attack on the bench. Why didn't you have a go? It works both ways. So, um, I stuck by my belief. I've always done that. I've been brave of where we've gone at Brentford and that. And I think it's players have got to see you adhering to your beliefs and your philosophies, Tommy. So that's what I did. It was a disaster of a game. I knew what it meant. Uh, I knew the implication. But the bigger picture that season, Tommy, the, 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 um, the KPIs for that season were to cement your position in the Premier League. But year three, European football. This is year two. Year three, European football. And I thought to myself and Davey, if we can't get in the top three in the Premier League by year three, we absolutely deserve a sack. Now, here we are. We've got, we're progressing in the Cups. We're second in the table. And what happened, happened. So the 5-1 was a, 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 a micro-issue. It was obviously a big game, big result, big implications. But it was one game. You don't get five points or lose five points. It was a one game and we moved on. And all I'm saying was that I, didn't, I wasn't worried about belief in the squad. I knew we'd have more changes. I'd find out more about the players. They would grow and mature. The recruitment, you would start to build. Um, so I wasn't worried about that. What we didn't allow for, Tommy, was Celtic's stellar year. They're the best year in their history. Um, and you, if you want to touch on that, I'll happily touch on that in terms of I got, I got caned in the press. But that's the one factor that you can't really allow for. They had an outstanding year under Brendan, broke all records, and everyone panicked because we were 20 points behind them but we were still second. Yeah, yeah, and, and I get all that. And for any uh, listeners or watchers um, not up with their um, uh, acronyms, I'll say KPIs are Key Performance Indicators. No, oh, apologies, um, apologies. Although I'd imagine a lot of people are used to the, them in the, their own jobs, uh, a, bit like my, a bit like myself. But just, just to go back and dig into that, because I don't think I, I naturally got an answer there. What was the point you looked about the dressing room and you thought maybe some of these players aren't, Cut out for Rangers? No, I didn't. I didn't think that. I've got to be honest. I think there was one or two. I'm not going to name the names. There was oh, one or two that I knew it wouldn't be right to do that, Tommy. Respectful, but there's one or two I looked around and went, "You're not. You're not going to be a long term." You, you, you could see that it was too much for them to play. But you look around the likes of Tab, disappointed. Where's Kenny demanding as he always does? Lee Wallace disappointed, but top top pro and gentleman. Uh, Nico, no problem. Clint Hill. You look around Andy Halliday, Holty, you look around the squad going, no, they're a dumbbell, they're okay. They, they, listen, they're, they're bitterly disappointed, but they're professional footballers, they're athletes. So I, I didn't honestly think, I, if I did, I would tell you. I've got no, there's no secrets. I would tell you. I wasn't worried about that, Tommy, uh, in any shape or form, because I knew that they had to get over that result quickly. Any bad result, you've got to get over it. I get that, and you, you, you know, I, I get the fact you've been really open, Mark, and I, I, very much, I very much appreciate it. And I think everybody, has respect for guys like Lee Wallace, you know, it'd be um, it'd be childish to say anything else. I think he's a great servant to the club. And from yeah. what you're saying as well, behind the scenes, an exceptional captain and a, and a leader in the dressing room uh, as yeah. well. Uh, and Kenny Miller to a certain extent. Although once you pull on the green and white jersey, hmm, I don't know if you ever return from that. Um, that goes back to your recruitment policy as well with Michael Halloran. Don't sing Celtic fans. Right, this is a simple equation, Mark. Right? Listen, you, 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 you learn and you move on. and But... We all learn, but I can't say about a player, Tommy, learning by his mistake and then not, not include myself or Frank or David. We all know that. that we're, you know, I'm sure in your line of work, you said you're in finance, you'll make mistakes. Uh, and the only trouble is... Don't tell my, don't tell my bossy smart. Well, you know, I, think you're, I think you already know, Tommy. <laughs> but um, the, the top, when, you, when you're in football, in a club like Rangers, everything is magnified. Of course, you're dealing with the emotion and the passion of the supporters and what it means. You're dealing with the 20 pages of the press every day on the two clubs, the radio shows every night. You're dealing with that. But as I say, you, you learn by mistakes. And, and in, in recruitment of players, you know, we were very, very good at Brentford. Frank, you know, we were very good. Look at, look at, look, I'm looking at um, Forrest. You know, the likes of Matty Cash, Joe Wall, Ben Osborne, Ben Burton going for seven million at Blackburn. You know, again, we trusted academy players, we developed them and we sold them. That's, our, that's every manager's job to do that. But you look at the service of Tav, you look at where's Fodringham, you look at the wag on how well Waggy's doing right now in, in the various divisions. You look at the players and go, well, fair enough. You know, Lee Wallace coming down and these guys, Liam Kelly's doing really well for us. And, uh, and 
young players developing, they need time. And it's that commodity of time, Tommy, which we keep referring to. But unfortunately, at Glasgow, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't forthcoming. Yeah, and uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that, that some of the players have went on to actually have the careers that you'd, you'd seen in them and, and brought them in for. So just final two questions, because I'm conscious of your, your time as well, Mark. I, I, I could sit and have this conversation uh, all day, and hopefully we can get you back on at a, a later date as well. No problem. Um, and you've mentioned that a couple of times, so a bit more of a personal question. Yeah, you've done your homework on the club, on the expectations of the fans, and you know, you spoke to Davy Weir. You've probably spoken to other people in football that you you highly respect. I get all that, right? You do your due diligence. But were you personally stung or taken by surprise by the level of vitriol and the level of partisanship? Those are my words, obviously not yours. And the level of lack of understanding from the media, because a couple of times you've mentioned it, and I can understand somebody feeling like that because there is no nuance to it. It's just bad, 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 or good, good, good. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, again, I won't mention individuals, but I think some of the comments that, let me jump back to first year, Tommy. Some of the comments towards Ronnie Dyler, I thought were virgin on legal. Honestly, now he's the opposing team's manager, not my business, but as a human being, some of the press rhetoric was outrageous. It would never happen down here. It'd be in the courts in seconds if it was down here. But for some reason, you can get away with it in Glasgow. And there's some really good journalists, there's some really good guys, but there's some proper sewer rats as well. I'm saying that honestly because, you know, as I say, for all the good guys, it's yin and yang. Some people feel they can get away with any comments. Um, I, read, I read one comment uh, where a paper said that our business in the summer transfer market was the best in Scotland. They ranked every club and Rangers number one, outstanding business. And a few weeks later, a massive double page spread saying, I wouldn't trust Warburton to go shopping in Aldi or Asda or something. And I'm thinking, it's just press. Listen, we all ignore that. We're all thick-skinned enough to ignore it. But I'm thinking the lack of respect that people show, you've got to earn respect. If you're managing a club and you're doing a job and you've got promoted, then you've, got, you've earned a little bit of respect. They don't show it in Scotland. The good guys do. But as I say, that, that level of abuse, that they, they feel free. And then they want to talk to you and they expect your assistance. It would never happen down here, Tommy. It would, I, I'm repeating myself, I know, but that's got to change. That's not, that's not a good selling point for Scottish football to go up there because they're the two biggest clubs. They're two institutions, global brands, and the way that the media treats the clubs should be, I think, should be far more appropriate. I'm using that word. Well, I, think currently a, I think there's a, a mistake sometimes that uh, certainly the media makes that uh, managers, players aren't uh, aren't human beings or don't suffer from the same things that everybody else does. I think you know we had this conversation off air before we we started recording that you know this isn't clickbait sensationalism. We want to have a conversation, uh, not trying to draw anything out of it. And I sometimes think that uh, that's lost with a, a lot of the, the journalists who have got something to sell, and so take anything you say uh, and hammer to a particular part of the the support or you know, rival support. So ever being a man of my my word, I'm going to immediately break it and say absolutely final two questions, Mark. That's fine. Where you go? It, it just, and it's purely because we just touched on that as well, and it's in the media at the moment. I'm wondering from an outsider's take, who's been part of the, the league setup, what your take is on the SPFL votes and uh, the, the process of, uh, I'm going to say shenanigans because it's my word, and the background that Rangers dossier was put out there. And I'll just predicate that a wee bit with, my thought that any league that has to split is pretty tin pot. Um, no league should have to do something to itself. Um, playoffs aside, but I'm talking about split. What, what's your take on the league setup and what's currently going on in Scottish football? I, I told, listen, I, I've seen from afar, you know, and, and, and my, my, my focus is always going to be on Rangers. I'm always going to be on the blue side, absolutely. But I'm looking at the bigger picture, Tommy. From an outsider looking in, it reflects so poorly on the Scottish game in general. That's the truth. I remember, you know, when Celtic won the title and I was chatting away and I think they got two point something million for winning the SPFL title. And at the time, you got 110 million for coming bottom of the English Premier League. And I said to these reporters and, you know, the right ones reported it really well and the wrong ones claimed it, but the disparity is too big. They've got to work on investment into the game, you know, the quality of the game and what they're going to do. They've got to find a way financially you're in that world, you know how important the investment is. And when I see this happening the last few weeks, 
I'm just thinking to myself, who's now going to invest in the Scottish game? That's what I'm honestly thinking. I want to see the game flourish. I want to see it move forward and develop. But we're in a we're in a un unprecedented situation, crisis globally right now. The English game has got massive decisions. I'm talking about, you know, do we have to redistribution of wealth and funding and saving the pyramid and how are we going to do it, cleansing the system? That's down here. That's down here with all the wealth. How many Scottish clubs are we going to lose? So you need investment. And right now, these type, I'm not saying who's right or wrong, I'm just saying these type of, uh, or these type of negative headlines serves no good purpose for the Scottish game, Tommy. And I really want to see it flourish. And right now, uh, I fear, I fear in terms of investment and the, and the future of the game. Yeah, you hear that. I mean, we don't even have a, a league sponsor set up and people like that. It's, it's lifeblood stuff that needs to be in there. Um, so, yeah, getting to that final question then. Finally, Mark, you've, you've, you've come through it. Um, you're obviously a, a Rangers fan. You've taken the club really into your heart. Uh, that's, that's quite apparent just from talking to you. Final message for the Rangers fans listening. Um, final message. I hope very much that they... they uh, they know what the club means to me uh, and what our intentions were for the period we were at the club and that they know that anyone in their right mind, Tommy, anyone would never, ever walk away from a club of the stature of Glasgow Rangers. And, and I've said that before, but I've said that very poignantly, I hope, that no one would ever. It's an absolute privilege. So the message is it was a privilege to manage such a fantastic club. Uh, I've said before about walking back to Glasgow, I say that with absolute respect. And I hope that has always come across in every interview, radio, TV, paper, whatever you want to do. I hope very much it's always come across. Well, I think that's a, a, great, uh, a great place to, to wrap it up from a, a man who once described uh, managing Rangers as a tremendous privilege. I'll say it's been a tremendous privilege to speak to you, Mark. I've been Thomas McIntyre. This has been This is Ibrox. Mark, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Tommy. Nice speaking to you. 